Hey, this is Matthew Krauss, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today, you can check out my interview with Steve Bowman. Steve is best known as a founding member and original drummer for the band Counting Crows. He is also known for his creative work on their debut album, August and Everything After. We talk about the events in Steve's life, from his early musical influences to his work with the Counting Crows, to his move to Nashville. If you want to find out about this podcast and many of the other podcasts we've recorded, you can go to workingdrummer.net. Our Twitter account is at working underscore drummer. You can also find us on Facebook, where you can post questions and comments. You can also find us on iTunes, where you can subscribe to the podcast. There's also a comments section uh, where you can rate us and you can uh, write a comment. Uh, anything uh, really helps us grow. If you like what you hear, post something. It just helps us go a long way. We have some exciting things coming up. We've got a uh, YouTube channel that we're looking to start up with some video to go along with some of these podcasts that hopefully will be uh, exciting to check out. So here's Steve Bowman. How you doing, man? I'm doing real well. I already asked you that. What if I... Well, you know... (laughs) I'm going to answer the same. I'm still great. Beautiful day here here in Nashville. I love this. It's June 2nd, right? And it's what, 70 degrees? It is. Um, yeah, it's, it's fine really nice. with me. It's really nice. Yeah, it's just fine with me. We got a guy who just moved to town. He's about to discover Nashville August. You know, I got to say, I've done podcasts, drum podcasts before, and, yep. and I've started each one talking about the weather. I'm not sure why. It's a good, you know, I don't know. It's how you feel. It's uh, your way, man. It, it's the artist's way. I can't think of a more uh, uninteresting way to begin by talking about the <laughs> current weather. You know, all this is going to be edited out anyway. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fix it in the mix. All right. <clears throat> well, cool. I'm really, I'm really glad to be here. It was so great to see you in the airport. And Yeah, uh, yeah, man. Yeah. How was that? How'd that get go? That was great. Uh, yeah. I don't even know where we're going. Um, when was it? it was, that was uh, maybe two weekends ago. Yeah. And uh, as what, which is typically typical Nashville. Yeah. Uh, when you're leaving or you're coming back, you're always seeing people with yeah. guitars and, yeah. and everything. Oftentimes it's like the whole flight is filled with players, you know, like mm-hmm. everybody's going back home at, at Sunday night, you know. The flight attendants are like, oh, are you going to play for us? Yeah. Uh, uh, what? Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's so funny. You know, we, we did this. I've been doing this, playing with this band, the Spasmatics. It's great. Mm-hmm. We dress like nerds and play '80s music, right? <laughs> so, for someone, and thanks for dressing up. Oh well, like you know, the Spasmatics today. Well, the, you know, oh. the beauty of it is, I didn't have to shop for the gig. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I showed up. I wear glasses, and I do I, like that you know, shirt, though. Man. Well, thank you. Uh, this would never be. This is actually too cool for Spaz, but. But lots of my clothes were just perfect, and I didn't even like go. To, you know, all the guys said, "Well, you go to Goodwill, get some funny stuff." I was like, "Man, got it." You know, I just I had three outfits ready to go. So, but that's where I was going that week, and I'm not sure why I brought that up. But it, it's been so fun, and and why? What was why the weather I, that day? What, 
what was it was like? That, was that, because we went to San Antonio and almost got killed. All our phones started going off saying like, you know, you know, get under the, in the basement, you know. It was... Uh, That's right, because we flew to Dallas for a show and then had to fly to Fort Lauderdale through the storm. Yeah. And that's when I'm like, what am I doing? We were in this cinder block building, and uh, and you could actually hear, like, you know, they always say the freight train. Oh, my gosh. I was like, I heard the the freight train. I'm like, that does sound like a train. And it was like, oh, my God, isn't that what everybody says? Next thing I knew. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> Last train home. Yeah. Um, man, can we, uh, can we back up and, and, and kind of go from the beginning and yeah. find out, uh, what is the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. Where are you from? Well, Oakland, California. Okay. Born and raised. And, uh, uh, we, uh, my wife and kids and I moved to Nashville in two. Is she from Oakland as well? She's from Park City, Utah. Oh yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah. We went to her, uh, high school reunion and it was like, looking around trying to figure out a way we could live there. I'm like looking for help wanted signs. I could be a waiter and she could deliver the mail and we could, you know, <laughs> Park City's so amazing. Right. Uh, but yeah, so uh, we've been here 10 years and um, we love it. Um, I was born and raised in um, in a city that is has a great musical heritage. And oh, right. Fortunately for me, I was able to just kind of be in a place where bands um, formed and 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 became successful, you know? Right, right, right. Uh, like so many other people who had to, like, dart across the country and start over. I kind of had, like, my family was there yeah. in the Bay Area. And, yeah. And, you know, Counting Crows uh, formed within three miles of where I grew up, you know? It's like... Okay. So... Well, um... It- were what was the thing that got you into music got you into drums well you know um i look back and think uh when i consider what drums are and what they look like and sound like it surprises me that every young person boy or girl isn't involved with drumming i mean right i mean right is it yeah it's loud and shiny and uh hell yeah (laughs) i mean like what would uh, stop any uh, hyperactive six-year-old boy from uh, wanting to pick up drumsticks and whack, you know, the I mess know. out of cymbals and drums? I know. I know. So that's what got me started. But I, I'll tell you, I actually remember seeing a drum set at like a county fair or something. We were with my parents, maybe, and my grandparents. And I remember seeing a, a drummer playing a drum set and just like feeling like it something like all of a sudden there was this urgency, like I had to know more about that and I had to make sure that I could do that. And, and what is that? You know, yeah. I remember feeling like, Oh my How old goodness. I don't remember that, but I, I must've been like four or five. Okay. I mean, really young Yeah. because I got my first pair of drumsticks in kindergarten. Oh wow. Yeah. And, and, and not only that, but my uncle Ron showed me how to do a couple of rudiments and like I took to it. It's all I did. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, I can't take credit for that. It's just whatever. It's like I had sticks. I knew how to do it, a paradiddle, and that's all I wanted to do. And I had carried him with me and, you know, yeah. drove everybody crazy. Uh, and so, so yeah, I mean, the, the, we can get as uh, in-depth in this kind of uh, – might get kind of mundane. But, but basically, by the time I was in first, second grade, right. people were telling me I was a good drummer and – that that was that, uh, all encouragement, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, then did you did you get a kit later? 
Yeah, third grade uh, for Christmas, uh, eight years old. So, I mean, you know, I can't take credit for having parents that bought me a drum set at, in third grade, uh, but they did, and that was a wonderful opportunity. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Ludwig, uh, Club Date, Blue Sparkle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, uh, and I, I spent hours and weeks and months uh, tuning and detuning, taking apart and putting back together and resetting up. And that like, seems to be a common thing. You know that you're into it when you just want to just play with the, yeah. the gear and take it, it apart and or fix look it at it. And, I would like lay lay on my back and look at it upside down, like every you know. <laughs> or, or the other one, I would. Uh, this is uh, this is how you know. I would actually sit there and press the two heads and like smell the paint with the air <laughs> hole in my face. I mean, it was like pornographic, you know. So. So yeah, that's Walt. That's, he's sniffing the painting. Yeah, <laughs> that's how I knew I wanted to be a drummer. So, okay. All right, we're losing one. Nice to meet you. All right. So, yeah. Were you? That, didn't you do that? Oh, I know, yeah. I did the same thing, man. I remember like I had my mom's camera and I was taking like all these cool shots of my old Thomas Swingstar and you know different angles and then. You know, oh, the lighting has to be this way. Oh, my goodness. And it's like, uh, I think back on it now, uh, and I'm thinking, what was wrong with me? And like, oh, I know exactly what was wrong with me, and that's great. Yeah. (laughs) I actually took my parents, like, all these Christmas lights, and I put tinsel all around the shells and stuff and, like, put lights on them, like, tried to make, like, a a concert setting, you know? (laughs) And if I'd known about dry ice, I would have gone and, like, hey, can I get dry ice, you know? And then I'd put on a record... Yeah. And play with headphones and like pretend it was a concert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, did you get into uh, lessons? Did you have a teacher? Yeah, I had a teacher and I was a terrible student. I had a teacher real early on and I didn't, uh, he would tell me to do stuff and I wouldn't do it. And and uh, it was always kind of like, uh always kind of tense when I had a drum lesson, I had to kind of admit I hadn't worked on the stuff he wanted me to work on. Yeah. Though I was playing all the time. Right. Um, when you were playing all the time, uh, did, did you have anything that you did when you were a kid or was it just, I'm just going to put on records and play? Yeah, I played a lot to records. Um, I did that a lot. And when I wasn't playing to records, I had a practice pad that I would carry around and literally, I mean, I'm talking like the kind of kid that you'd be like, what's wrong with that dude? He, he's, well, I wouldn't say that, but I think, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I mean, that's, uh, that's yeah. what I was into. Yeah. Um, I mean, so even like going on vacation, I had a practice bed, you know? Yeah. 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 Uh, so anyway, um, there's that great story about Vinny Caliuta. Some guy, somebody came to interview him. Did I tell you this one? No. The guy came to interview Vinny Caliuta and Caliuta opens the door and he's got a pad in one hand and a stick in the other. And he's just like, you know, doing whatever he could do with one hand, which probably like, you know. Right, right. And so the guy, uh, they're talking and then they're doing the interview. And and I guess the guy's, the interviewer is looking at Vinny Kelly to doing this thing with the one stick. and like, what the, how are you doing that? And Vinny thinks, oh my goodness, I'm such a terrible host. And he, Vinny says, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, can I offer you a pad? <laughs> That's typical. Do you need one too? Yeah. yeah, like, oh my goodness, I didn't even offer you a drum pad. You must be going crazy over there not being able to practice. No. <laughs> you know? Man, I, yeah. I hear... Yeah. Uh, um, hey, there it is. Well, here's, here's a 
couple. We have. Uh, oh, I love that old pad. I, we I have. have a, we have a couple thing. to choose from. You know, isn't it funny? Because there's I, this I one. Just, I love that's this that one. moon gel. I used. To, I have one of these. And it's it's really it's you know yeah, you it's too. got government recall written all oh over my it. God, yeah, well, mine fell apart too, and it's got this crazy like oil stuff coming out of it. Yeah, it's like the Stretch Armstrong <laughs> of uh, practice pads. But you know, it's amazing. <laughs> you can set that next to somebody on the bus. And practice oh, no, right next to them. They know. don't even know. I know. You're like, why are you moving your arms so fast? Oh, I'm practicing. Oh, yeah. I didn't even hear it. <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> think some perverts next to you. No, yeah. no, no. I'm actually warming up. That's with hilarious. Drumst- yeah. With, I, I'm a drummer. Yeah. I, okay, that explains Get your hands behind your back. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Well, uh, can can you kind of walk me through what led to, to Counting Crows? I want to talk about well, sure. some of that um, stuff. You know, I just... Uh, like I said, fortunately, we lived in Oakland, five miles of bridge away from San Francisco. Wow. And so um, I played all through high school. And then right after high school, I got a job at a music store, started playing in the local music scene and mm-hmm. playing in bands. And and uh, and one of those bands uh, did a record uh, at Dave Bryson's studio. Dave Bryson is the guitarist and, and writer, uh, writes, you know, <clears throat> half kind of Adam and he write a lot of the okay. songs. And so Dave had a studio uh, called Dancing Dog uh, in Emeryville, California. And a lot of people worked there a lot. It was a really cool place to be, you mm. know. So we did a record there, the band I was in. And then I kept kind of hanging around because it was such a great place. A lot of my friends were recording records there. Mm-hmm. And so I had worked a lot playing to records at home, right? And so, right, right. you know, that helped me with time, I was able to play to a click track and, yeah. uh, I'd kind of worked on that without even trying. Well, how, how old were you at this time? I was, Do you remember? I bet I was 20, 21. Okay. And what kind of records were you when you, before all this, when you were practicing and spending time playing to oh. records, what, what was well, it? That you well, here's a funny with? one because my dad worked at, at the local juvenile hall, uh, connected with that, uh, uh, in, uh, in our town. And he would bring home vinyl LP records that they didn't want because they'd bring in stuff for like people to listen to. Yeah. And sometimes they'd be like, yeah, we don't want this. So what he brought home was Elton John, Bad Company. And I mean, every Elton John record, Bad Company, Chicago. Yeah. um, And all this, I mean, just Jim Croce. I mean, you know, a lot. Well, Beatles. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, what? Oh, oh man. Uh, what? Beach Boys. Oh wow. I mean, yeah, Beach yeah. Boys, greatest hits. Yeah. There you go. And I was uh, learning to play drums, and those beats were all perfect. The tempos were all perfect for me. You know. I have uh, "Don't Shoot the Piano Player" uh, on the record player right now. I was listening yeah. to it this morning. I yeah. found it. Uh, in North Carolina this last weekend and for three dollars. Oh yeah. It's in great condition and it um Well and Nigel sounds road. great. Oh sounds yeah. so good on that. Yeah, and on vinyl, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. It, yeah, that whole band. Those guys the Yellow Brick Road that era, mm-hmm. they were doing a song a day. <clears throat> I know. And, Two records a year, was it? Yeah. While touring. And while uh, touring. Oh, my God. and uh and so what I heard was that Bernie Toppin was coming up with lyrics, which he would give Elton in the morning, and Elton would work all day 
call the guys in after lunch and in the afternoon they'd cut the track and do it again the next day you know so what these guys yeah. are playing and then they'd sing all the backgrounds davy johnson d murray and uh, uh nigel olsen yeah you know what's crazy about that as i'm listening to these records having a, an understanding of the pace in which they worked i'm thinking my gosh the not only are the performances great but the arrangements oh, yeah. are not just here's a verse no. and a verse and a chorus like you worked it out and then came back to the what's best you know yeah yeah i mean there there's like this almost like queen quality oh, yeah. to the arrangement and the vocal parts and um just that thing that uh i miss a lot Oh, yeah. uh, with certain things, but well, and then they're working that fast and coming up with songs like Rocket Man that we still hear today. <laughs> Turn on the radio. I mean, it's like Uber hits, you know. Yeah, Daniel's the first track on this oh. one, and it's just yeah, right out of the box. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know that. That's yeah. Great. I mean, so many more, so many other songs on that that I'm I'm just trying to get more familiar with um, yeah. for the first time ever. But uh, yeah. it's so fun, really great. It sounds so good. You yeah. can hear every thing on there. You know, the Family Wash does that thing where you listen to, and I guess they moved, but they'll do it again, but they had a day where they would just have vinyl sitting in the corner. There's a turntable, and you can go pick it and put it on. The rule was you have to play an entire side. And so we were sitting in there one night eating dinner, and people are putting on all this old stuff. Because, you know, with vinyl, you have to kind of go deep. You can't, like, get you know, Rihanna, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, I guess we'll listen to this old 70s tune. <laughs> right, right. But so they're putting stuff on and it's all music you love. And it's just sounding like so fat and drippy, wet, oaky, mm. saturated. Mm. Yes. And I kept looking back. I'm like, oh, man, that sax sounds good. You know, or, oh, man, listen, that snare tone. See, and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's vinyl. That's why I keep. I keep noticing, like, oh, my God, that sounds good. Oh, yeah, yeah. it's vinyl. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I forgot. And uh, I don't know how your family is, but do they, do they like, okay, uh, honey, can we keep the conversation going? Or, or do they appreciate what, what they're listening to as oh, well? no. I mean, you know, like I say, I am, I am uh, probably the least biggest music fan in my family. Uh, well, it's my, really? my son and daughter and, uh, and my wife that, that really listen to more music. And so, oh, wow. That's awesome. yeah, 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 it's great. Oh, and my, my, uh, they're all into such interesting stuff. I'm our kids, like my son is, 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 has the mind of a music critic. He's 16. He's super into, uh, great music and he likes stuff that I don't like that was too deep for me, you know? Like, yeah, about- that's refreshing though. That's good. Once yeah. they start kind of forming their own opinion, my, my boys are still too young. They're listening to a lot of the things that, uh, usually I've given them or my wife's given them. So their tastes but that's really great. are still at this point. I mean, my 13 year old went with me to see Rush last week wow. and, um, you know, I knew there was a lot of material he didn't know. But it was just the time for us together, and he had to endure my whooping and hollering and yeah. and uh, excitement uh, during the, uh, you know, when they busted into um, Xanadu or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Here that's comes the chime part. Shh. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Uh, those are concert bells, son. Yeah. Thanks, Dad. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. it. Um, we have some of those in my junior high, Dad. Right. Can I? How much longer is this? Nobody no, cheers. we had a great time. Yeah. It was really good. Well, I mean, just the loud, the excitement, the lights, camera action—that'd be enough, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, it's like, so great. My son's talking to me about 
smashing pumpkins you know he mm-hmm. gets it i didn't you know i was like mm-hmm. yeah you know i like 1979 but all of and he's like well you know i'm like so why is it good tell me because mm-hmm. you have a deeper understanding of music than i do mm-hmm. so my daughter is into anime these japanese yeah mm-hmm. music it's incredible like super high pace i think they record it and then then jack up the tempo or something it's all like so incredibly arranged and like i mean music the music yeah. wise yeah oh, okay. the music for japanese anime is often in japanese often with a super high female voice uh-huh. and the arrangements are like and often with like a steve lukather style guitar so yes it is totally. so they're like and then the voice it's yeah it's amazing she plays me this stuff and i'm just like Oh, it's unbelievable. It's like jellyfish from the early '90s, or something. It's like yeah. so dense and yeah, packed with the uh, you know not a note out of place. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Like I said, I, I, we haven't gotten there yet, but I'm looking forward to that. Hey, Dad, check this out. What my my cut my um cousin, my nephew did that to me uh, a couple weeks ago. He's like, yeah, I went to see uh, Twenty One Men or something like that, and I was like, I looked at him, and my family looked at me like, wait a minute, you don't know who that is. I was like, oh, crap. Uh-oh. Yeah. Oh, well. That's the way it works. Remember when you were cool, uncle? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's over. Yeah. <laughs> um, He's the man now. I don't know if it's important to to know what you were listening to and what you were... Well, no, I do know it was, it was important, but um, I always just find it fascinating uh, what players were listening to when they were growing yeah. up and what they were playing along with. I think well, there's yeah. there's formative years where you know your synapses are firing, your brain is is coming together and 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 uh being influenced so much by all this stimuli and uh, it depends on what you were doing at the time and what you were listening to at the I mean, time. F- through no uh, this crazy fluke, I was loaded with incredible yeah. songwriters you know it explains it's starting to explain a lot well man. i mean that's what i dr- i'm drawn to and yeah. when i play with a with a singer songwriter yeah um i want them to be dynamic and yeah. and i you know i want it to go up and down and you know mm-hmm. because that's what i'm used to maybe i don't know as you as you started to um, become a better player were there any other outside uh like resources that you were gravitating towards were there I said, I know you said you weren't a great student, but uh, maybe was there like a well, d- drum kind of thing where there was videos or books yeah. or, you know, that kind of thing? I actually did become a great student, not for anyone else, really, but for myself, because I had mm. then... I like that. I like that. Well, because yeah. I had two... That's the only way you do become a good student is when you decide yourself yeah. to be. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I had two other great teachers. One was Sly Randolph. Uh, he was a... Just took me through some lessons, and he was a, just a... He was this uh, guy, you know, uh, African American, forty five. He he was just cool. When he walked in, I wanted to be like him. And so when he played, his name was Sly Randolph. Sly Randolph. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I had mean, to, like, yeah. are you kidding me? <laughs> so he'd sit there and play, and and he made this face. He said, "That's called the funk frown." And and so he, you know, everything he played was like that. And so of course, what a treat for a guy like me. I was. 18 and like listening to you know bozio and stuff and yeah here was a new gear um and then uh you know then i had another brett cosby was another guy who got me really he was really into good uh, fitting rudiments into a drum set which i was really interested in because i had a great double stroke role and paired it all but converting that to musicality on the drum set was something i hadn't done and so he Mm -hmm. would like 
you know, the, the rolls on the hi hat, you know, maybe it's yeah. double stroke roll there. And, mm-hmm. um, but you know, I don't know. Um, the, the reason I say I was a better student for myself is because I never really feel like I did everything they wanted, mm-hmm. but I still mm-hmm. worked really hard, you know? Yeah, yeah. I would hear something and be like, Oh man, look at how did that happen? And what, how can I, you know, steal that, you know? And it makes me wonder, like, uh, if anybody listening or, um, that's a teacher, how do you recognize that in a student where, okay, they're not following everything that I'm giving them to a T, but how are they kind of finding their own way? And there is a lot to be said for that. Some of our favorite players, some of the most iconic drummers that we look up to and we try and emulate, are those that have carved their own niche Mm -hmm. for things uh, or niche for our uh, British friends. Um, Speak French to me, man. uh, Attention, s'il vous plaît. Wow. And then he did. (laughs) (laughs) That's check, please. That's all that means. Can I get the check, please? Uh, So he... But anyways, um, it's worked for you. Uh, And I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I mean, that's... One of the things that I love about your recording with Counting Crows is some of the unique drum grooves and stuff yeah. like that. That was, uh, but we'll get to that. Um, so you're in your early 20s at this point, taking lessons. You're recording at the studio, studio uh, with your band, but uh, working in the music store, playing around San Francisco. Yeah, and then I got a job at a, at a theme park. Okay, playing for at Great America, six shows a day. Six days a week playing top 40, like up with people, uh, medleys, you know, mm-hmm. and it was like eight dollars an hour. But it was, it was the first thing I did. Like, I'm a professional musician this yeah. year, you know, yeah. And it was the first time I was around, like, you know, uh, it was just it was a cast that stayed together for seven months really intensely. And so it was kind of like, you know, <clears throat> first time I'd been a part of. A production, I guess, and mm-hmm. and so that was kind of neat. Because was there reading involved, anything like that? Initially, um, but I mean, obviously, six shows a day, we had it down pretty quickly. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, the only reading, like you could maybe read a book while you were doing the show. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody. That's what I meant. Oh yeah, That's yeah, what I meant. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes yeah. I would read, uh, you know, National Lampoon on, uh, on the floor, Tom, while I was playing the show. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but no. There was a little at first, um, but I was I was probably able to fake that well enough, you know. Right. Uh, I certainly couldn't sight read. I can't now, but um, or could I ever? But uh, <laughs> I, I got through it somehow. But yeah, yeah. but that was um, it. Was really uh, an amazing time because mm-hmm. uh, I really uh, enjoyed all the playing. I yeah, mean, like I would come home and like sore you know because oh, i was trying to hit hard and that a good, six that's shows a good a day. feeling yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i feel like i'm you know i'm accomplishing something mm-hmm. the only bummer was when i came home you know then i had a band at night that was mm-hmm. trying to and i i remember being really hard on those guys because we'd they'd want to rehearse and i'd be like oh my god you know i, I can't play anymore you know and mm-hmm. so i was a drag in that way but it was a really cool time and and uh and then uh you know, I was always doing these uh, original bands, and the San Francisco music scene was pretty strong back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a lot of bands that were uh, getting signed, and getting signed back then made 
you know, made you your salary. You know, if mm-hmm. you were in a band that got signed, mm-hmm. they'd give you checks and then you could like rehearse all the time. And it's what year was this? Early nineties. Okay. Um, great America was the late eighties and then early nineties, um, mm-hmm. uh, playing with a bunch of different bands. So, so counting crows basically came together from a bunch of those bands. I see. Adam and Dave, uh, were playing together and they got Charlie from a band called, what was it? I can't remember. What it is it? Um, well, Charlie, Dan, Dave, everybody came from different places mm-hmm. and, uh, and, uh, you know, got together and it worked. So, and how did you get involved in that? Well, because I knew Dave from his studio, Dancing Dog. Yeah. When they started looking for players, um, they got Matt Malley, who was in Dave's band. Okay. And Charlie Gillingham, who was in all the, he was a great, you know, keyboardist. Like he's the only guy who played B3, you know, he's mm. a badass. Yeah. And uh, so, of course, he was in. And, uh, and then I was, you know, lucky enough that Dave called me. He knew I had. Played, he'd called me to do a bunch of his records, like <clears throat> when the drummer couldn't do it. You know, the drummer yeah. couldn't play to a click. Oh wow! And uh, so I'd go in there and kind of, uh, you know, do the drummer's thing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I did that a couple times for him, and and then you know, uh, it was the it was like there's not much studio work in the Bay Area. It never really was. I mean, for me, maybe for some people, but. Uh, you know, I was just grateful to be in there working. So I yeah. made sure that I, you know, nurtured the relationship. Sure, was, sure. You know, and so when it came time for Dave to look for a drummer, I mean, like, I was the most obvious choice, I guess. So, so yeah, we got together and, uh, and that was uh, in 91. Okay. Uh, that that came together. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, recording the first record? Yeah. Um, we uh, were looking for a way to kind of do a band vibe. Um, Let me ask you real quick, though. Um, I remember watching uh, the Best of Saturday Night Live music performances, and you guys were on there, and it was before you were signed? Is that, oh, no. We were... Before the uh, record came we out? We touring August and everything after at that point. Okay. But um, just barely. Okay. I thought there was something significant about your performance on Saturday Night Live. Um, well, I'll tell you probably what it was. There's a story I told before, because we were, when we, we were touring and, uh, and we were getting these sheets from the label that were telling us what our sales were. Mm-hmm. And so we'd played, like we play in Philadelphia. Yeah. And we sold 25 units or like the CDs, tapes, cause whatever they call them, mm-hmm. units. Yeah. Right. And then we went to Pittsburgh and sold 30 units. And then, yeah. like, there's zero sold in, you know, the next city. Where you're going we, to be performing. Yeah. Okay. But then we play the next week and there's 11. So we were watching that and putting all these sales together. I mean, this is Counting Crows in a van, you know, with a trailer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're looking at our record sales. We sold 175 last week. 175 units. Yeah. And I remember Matt Malley would say, we've gone gum wrapper. You know, we're like, <laughs> we're not gold, we're gum wrapper. So we got up to a point where we were selling 750 to 1,000 a week, oh, right? Yeah. It's starting to get, we're touring with, who uh, we got with, some, uh, who was it? Uh, the Cranberries, who had oh, a big hit yeah, song. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. And, um, and then uh, Cracker and, uh-huh. and uh, Paula Cole was opening. It was a, it was a fun time. Um, all kinds of bands we were playing with back then. So now we're starting to play for bigger crowds. And, yeah. 
And uh, so that was the point we were at mm-hmm. when we played Saturday Night Live. I see. We'd been touring the record for three months. Okay. And we played Saturday So how many records did we sell that day <laughs> after that? Yeah. That week we sold 115,000 units. Wow. And it just kept up from there. It was wow. Like, week after that was 50,000. And it was like, yeah. oh my goodness. You know. It's so, a cool performance, man. It sounds yeah, great. It was, it you know, the, we'd been playing so much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we just, this, this was a, <clears throat> this was a band, you know, that had just been playing every night. And so to go play a show like that, it wasn't like, hey, let's get the guys together and rehearse. And it was mm-hmm. like, let's, uh, we're playing here tonight. Tomorrow night we're at Letterman to, uh, or yeah. whatever, Saturday Night Live. The night after that we're at, but, uh, doing Saturday Night Live, uh, is uh, is an unbelievable experience because it's a week, you know. It's like if you do Letterman, you get there. It's like you shoot at five thirty or something, and then you're done, and yeah. you're outside. It's still light out, and you're like, "What just happened?" You know, we played right. one song, yeah. But with Saturday Night Live, you're there for a week because, okay. uh, and of course, they put you out in this really cool hotel in the middle mm-hmm. of Times Square, but. Because uh, you have to do one day when you do the sound check, and then they take pictures, and it's all this weird stuff. So, uh, whatever, man. We were there for a week. It was great. Right, right. So they took they take all that time. I guess I didn't realize that. I thought they brought the bands in just that one day while the actors. But you're there as much as the guest is there or the host or yeah, whatever. I mean, we're not in the studio when they're working, sure. but but we're there. And yeah. I, I think, you know, it's really live. So I yeah. think the idea is got to make sure everybody's there and accounted for and knows how to get from the st- you know the dressing mm-hmm. room to the stage mm-hmm. i don't know mm-hmm. uh but it it was like that so yeah. anyway yeah just you know um, come true was it t-bone burnett that produced this yeah yeah okay um can you talk a little bit about uh working with him and um yeah kind of how that uh, i guess one of the things that i wanted to try and figure out is how did you come up with a lot of the parts that you did? Because when I, I I'm such a fan of that record, man, oh, as, uh, as uh, Mike had mentioned as well. And I know a lot of my friends that are friend, uh, fans of that record as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, years ago when I was trying to get more, wrap my head around more, just straight up roots rock and pop music and kind of trying to find my wheelhouse, I was playing along with Petty, mm-hmm. uh, trying to understand a little more Rolling Stones and Beatles, and uh, and I was putting on a couple Counting Crows records, including that one, and uh, Kebmo and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But um, I just was at a point in my life where I wasn't playing along to records as much. But that was one I was I I learned a lot of those songs. I learned a lot of your parts, hmm. man, and um, oh, it neat. was what so fun. To play, because huh. yeah, it's. I mean, I want to dig into this Tom Petty record that Steve Ferroni played on, and I want to try and find his pocket. Mm-hmm. I'm playing one and three on the kick, and two and four on the snare. But where is he putting it? What's the accents on the yeah. hi hat? What's the yeah. feel? Kind of really, really get inside. I love that man. That the, feel. What are the tones? Not just like, oh, I know that. I know yeah. that beat. No. But what is it about that what thing? What size so, stick? How, how tight yeah. is the head? You know, yeah, totally. Yeah, those things. Um, but August and everything after was uh, that record that, okay, I want to find that groove. Uh, what is it? Like you're playing like the uh of one. 
Yeah. Very space, spacious, very, but it has to groove. But there's this pattern. It's like, ooh, this is fun. Yeah. And as a drummer, it's like learning a Latin pattern. It's like yeah, learning, yeah. you know, it's like, oh, this is fun. I could do this all day long. That record had a lot of that in there. And so I'm trying to crawl inside your head and yeah. say, where did that come from? Was well, that was it you? Was that uh, some influence from the band? Did T-Bone say? Because I know he can be quirky with yeah. drummers and, and he has his preferences. Or well, his, his thing is he can... You know, it's like a Zen master. He can shock you into silence, you know, or shock you into no mind. Uh, the way he did that with me was, for example, that song, um, Omaha. Yeah. Because I had a part. We'd been playing that song for a year, and I was, you know, yeah. I knew how to play Omaha. And so then he said, just before we record, of course, he goes, hey, uh, no cymbals on this one. <laughs> okay, what? I said, what? Wait. No way! I got I can't do my parts without my symbols. You know that's yeah. the idea. Yeah. So now instead of cr- recreating my parts, I was now creating on the spot. Mm-hmm. So you know, I ran to the kitchen and got a frying pan and washed out the eggs and then put it on the tom, and that's my ride symbol. And I got this big bass drum and put it over here, tuned it real high, and right there, getting the guitar sound. We're about to record, mm-hmm. and. The only thing I have that I will get to use is stuff I have ready when they say, all right, let's do it. You know, so I have this drum. I was like trying to mount it so I could hit it. And I was like tuning it up really high. I wanted to go. "Mm." I wanted like an 808 bass drum. It didn't sound like that on the record. It just goes. (laughs) But yeah, but that's what I was trying to do. And all that was total spur of the moment. You know, Uh, uh, almost sounds like a like a Native American drum. It has that kind of. Like calf, like well, I guess so. Uh, it was an 18 inch bass drum that I, yeah. you know, crammed uh, in between two things so it'd sit upright and I could hit it on the side. But mm-hmm. you know, uh, but there's a great example of uh, T Bone getting me as a musician to really think and make music. Mm-hmm. While he's recording it, you know, yeah, yeah, rather than getting through another pass and saying, "Did you get that?" You know, yeah, yeah. So and I know producers are everyone has a different way. There, there. Some of them are more hands off. They just kind of want to just steer you in the right direction and let you go. Yeah. Some of them can be very controlling, and you know, depends. Well, and it also depends on the player. I mean, you know, right. I'm sure they'd always rather let you go, but if if they can't handle what you're doing you know there was a lot of i was doing a lot of ghost note stuff yeah and um and i remember t-bone cutting some of that out Uh and and i've actually analyzed because i've been asked this before uh, about what it was about some of those songs i don't think it's um uh you know like some kind of you know mastermind or or Mm -hmm. master uh drumming or anything but what i think is that I was always playing with 16th notes and I think that I was asked to cut those in half maybe. And like, I remember a lot cause I was doing a lot of eighth note grooves, but mm-hmm. I was still thinking and hearing 16th notes in my head. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And I think that that may be what people are th- talking about when they ask me, what was it? You know, like round here, people always say, what was it? What was the deal with that feel or groove? And I don't, I didn't really know until I kind of thought of it. I was like, well, what was it? I don't know. I think what it is, is that I was playing eighth notes and thinking 16th notes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and there's an interesting exercise that I've done with some drummers, uh, students mm-hmm. and, and it's play a groove with eighth notes, right? Yeah. yeah. And limit yourself to eighth notes. 
yeah. the bass drum pattern and the hi-hats, and then play to a 16th note click, right? Yeah. And if you do that and record yourself for 30 seconds, then try programming a, a swung click, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And play the same stuff. Mm-hmm. And what you'll find is this eighth note pattern, it's the same amount of notes, but they sync differently. Yes, right? yes, yes. And that's, I think, what happened with that record. Again, through no credit to me, it just, that's what happened. It was like, I brought this to the mm-hmm. table, somebody pushed it that way, and it ended up being this. <laughs> so, right, right. You know, which is, I guess, what a producer is supposed to do. Well, I think that, you know, forum and analysis is a way to study music. Yeah. It's a way to understand what an artist has performed or recorded. And as the student of music, uh, you start in a place to try and, and, you know, dissect the performance in a way that probably the artist didn't know that they were doing. Yeah. Uh, Because it was just, it was happening. Um, There was a certain amount of... uh, just a flowing expression that that they have the ability to do, mm-hmm. whether it's Coltrane or it's Steve Gadd or, you know, it's not always, doesn't always come from an analytical starting point. Yeah. Sometimes the analytics comes after the fact. Yeah. How did they get there? Yeah. You know, uh, when people were creating American popular music and especially like swing and, and jazz and bebop, they didn't always know what they were doing. I love listening to like early 20th century recordings where everything was swinging so hard, the playing was so together. I don't know if they really knew how incredible and how incredibly significant that sound is or has become because they were just doing what they knew. They yeah. were make this is how you make music. Yeah. You know, and changing the way people perform, the, the intonation, the way uh, the violin, the saxophone, all these things were changed. The influence of African culture and American oh. popular culture and all this stuff. Now uh, we're going back and say, how did they get this sound and how do we do? And those are important tools. But I think what you're saying is, look, we just did it. And but also, I think we have to remind ourselves what were you doing when you were growing up playing you were playing to records you were playing to all these great records and yeah. all this stuff that it's it leads up to this point totally yeah. so that you can I mean, just play great, music i'm so lucky to be able to play those great songs and and you know now that i understand how important feel is uh, what the drummer feels when the drummer plays mm-hmm. is what comes out and it translates to the listener and yeah. the dancer and the singer who's trying to deliver a song. And and so I wasn't astute enough to be able to know that and do that, but... You were a musician. But I loved the know. songs. And so, yes. you know, I mean, if your heart is soaring on a chorus, mm-hmm. people hear that. They feel it, you know? Yeah. And, and you can't say, yeah, the way to do that is, you know... <laughs> I mean, the way to do that is to feel it. Yeah. Um, so... There's something primordial about... These, you know, when you hear a young band, um, late teens, early 20s, that, you know, they couldn't tell you what they're doing, but there's something so glorious. You know, you listen to like um, an early U2 record, oh, and yeah. <laughs> you're like, does he know how 
that hi-hat is yeah. that those 16th notes where he's putting the accents yeah. and how he's doing how did that they all rush at the same time i know, you know? they they didn't Incredible. know but somehow they just knew that they were making music mentions what a great drummer you were oh yeah and um so i have a feeling that when he said let's do this without any symbols he knew he could throw that curveball your way well and you'd be ready to take it yeah i guess um hopefully (laughs) Uh, i know what he uh, i remember what he liked was that we would do a lot of passes on each song every song we recorded we were we recorded a lot of times you know Mm -hmm. maybe 10 15 passes or more and i was i concentrated really hard on making sure i didn't assume we weren't going to keep the pass it was hard you know like the eighth ninth thirteenth time you're thinking all right we're playing this song but i know we're not going to keep it so i'll just but i really thought to my i thought to myself any pass now they'll say all right that's the one and i'll be thinking were you guys all playing together yeah was adam singing too or is it was it scratch those, vocals or was it? On a lot of those songs, that's the vocal. That's on a lot wow. of those songs, that's everybody playing in a room. Wow. You know, not yeah. everyone, but but on a lot of them. And so, um, so yeah, if anybody was off, we'd do it again. Yeah, and uh, that's and amazing. you know, in hindsight, we played the song ten, fifteen times. Now it's second nature, and you can really get into the feel and the lyrics. Yeah, yeah. But which is probably T Bone's intention. Yeah. I remember. Uh, reading an interview with Jodie Foster and Robert De Niro, I guess in Taxi Driver. Right, is it Taxi Driver? She plays a little prostitute, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, so they have this dialogue in this diner, uh-huh. and and she said she's twelve years old or something, and she said that Robert De Niro took her into the diner and rehearsed it all day, and they went through the lines, and then they went through them again, and she thought, I got it, and they just yeah. kept going through it until. They said these lines without thinking of them. They said these lines while they're looking at a glass or while they're... And, and all of a sudden, there's this magic. It's like, oh, that's really natural. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're not saying lines anymore. They're emitting feelings with the lines. Right, right. And so I think when you make a drummer do something 15 times, you could get the drummer saying, hey, you know what? Screw this. I'm tired. Or my mm-hmm. snare drum is mm-hmm. sounds like shit now because I've hit it a thousand times or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But... What I chose to do for whatever reason was sink in and make sure that if they get this one, it's going to be a good one, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I think that's what he liked, maybe more so than my, you know, imaginative imaginative feel. You know, I'm like, I'm not Jay Belrose or whatever. (laughs) But I think what he liked was that uh, I was consistent. 93, October 93, something. We started touring and... uh, Stayed out uh, for the next year and a half. Uh, was this that. all in a van? No. At a certain point, we got a bus. Um, but for the first few months, certainly, it was a, yeah. a van and a trailer. And then Adam had this old uh, like Datsun uh, V210 or something that we actually drove because we had so many guys in the band that we had a car that we followed in the van. And like, yeah, they always have two or three people there listening to music. You know, that was like the loud music car. Anyway, <laughs> but awesome. yeah. And so at a certain point, 
I remember uh, we got a bus, and it was yeah. like, oh man, this is you know, you oh, I know. pee in the road. It's like, ah, it's so nice. Oh, I know, I know. That's really great. And then you can't go back. No, <laughs> you know, yeah. So it's like roommates. You know, you have three roommates. You get a two. You can't go back to three, and then one. And oh man, it's like, yeah, yeah. That's true. Um, so can you talk about what led to the timeline, kind of bringing you to Nashville? Well, yeah, um, you know, we were in the Bay Area, and that was where I was born and raised, and we loved it there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was getting uh, progressively impacted and expensive, and yeah. and the kids' school. When I we, then we had kids in school and saw this other side of California. That you know, I mean, they're cutting music and sports, and the library's open two days a week, and. Mm-hmm. And I'd come out here with the Bittersweets. I played with the Bittersweets. You did a couple records. And uh, we came out here and had it uh, mixed by David Henry. Uh, if you know David, uh, True Tone Studios, great uh, engineer and musician. So I spent a week out here doing that. And I was like, you know, I just started thinking about Nashville. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was 2006. I came out and started uh, and just rented a room and I was going back and forth. My family was still back there and mm-hmm. it seemed like a good fit. And I brought Jen and the kids out and they loved it. And, uh, so we moved, um, yeah. in 2007. Okay. Okay. So, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I thought, well, I thought that we, I wanted to get out of California, Yeah, but also, um, I wanted to have a place where I could play music because right. that's the only way I'd ever supported myself and our family mm-hmm. and uh, so it just seemed like a slam dunk yeah it's a great town we couldn't be happier here after um counting crows yeah um i uh was helping other, you know i had some friends that were in bands and i would go <clears throat> you know play on friends records maybe and and uh, got involved with this band new band in san francisco a lot of hype i was helping them you know, trying to help them get um, a lawyer and management all, you know, trying to get everything. I had a friend who had a studio. We went and recorded some stuff. So had some songs. They're starting to get some heat and they had other stuff going. I mean, before I even got there, they had, Mm -hmm. you know, some exciting things happening. So now this band is starting to do well. And I had a friend who knew a guy at Warner Brothers who did A&R, big A&R guy. Mm -hmm. And so we got him to come down and see the show. So he shows up and he's, and uh, meet him, and he shows us his little credit card, you know, like, you know, we're going to go get drinks afterwards, boys, and on me, you know. Right, hey, right. Cool. So yeah. that's kind of exciting. Well, so we play the show, and, like, he left in the middle of the show. I mean, like, I don't know, he's looking around, like, where is he? You know? Did he leave his card behind? Yeah. <laughs> Did he take his credit card? So... Anyway, the guy's gone, and so I'm like, oh, I guess uh, he didn't like us. I called my buddy the next day that introduced us. I said, well, yeah, I mean, he left halfway through. The-. He goes, yeah, he goes, he didn't hear any songs. I'm like, all right, so, you know, songs means hit songs. He didn't hear any hit songs. Oh, I see, I see what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, okay. no, we did poetry that night, and so, no, actually. Uh, <laughs> so, that's cool, except that two interesting things happened after that. <laughs> One was... The band ended up having three top ten songs on their first record, uh, Third Eye Blind. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
And the guy who passed yeah. ended up being this nationally recognized judge of talent. Uh-oh. Who was it? Randy Jackson. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Is that amazing? Jeez. So Randy Jackson, who tells us who's good and bad, passed on Third Eye Blind because they had no songs. I worked with Third Eye Blind briefly. I mean, months, you know. And uh, they, uh, um, I didn't, I wasn't in a good spot mm-hmm. emotionally, mentally. And, and it was easier for me just not to play with anybody. And mm-hmm. so I spent three years reading books, riding my bike, and playing softball. I was mm-hmm. on a softball team, two. We played two nights a week, man. I was like, wow. That's all, because I was in my 20s, early 30s. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to read books and play softball, ride my bike, eat burritos, shop at Goodwill. That's what I love to do. And you're in and San so, Francisco, so yes. why not? and so I was able to do it. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and you know... Uh, you know, I wasn't hustling work or gigs or, yeah. you know, had a little yeah. money in the bank and yeah, it was great. Met my wife and we, uh, spent more time, uh, you know, just drinking coffee and, and doing crosswords and walking in the, yeah, I mean, just living, we did whatever we wanted to do. It was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, no regrets. That's awesome. It's wonderful. Man. That's awesome. Um, did you guys talk about the weather? Is that kind of how you got Well, started? we started every uh, podcast by talking about the weather. <laughs> now, I don't know why that happens, but it really does. I mean, hey, man, I, it happens on planes. It happens with strangers. Oh, you know, it's terrible. I'm no. It's I just, found it's, out that I am a, a, a what a introvert. Uh, there's a book called Quiet that lists 21 aspects of introversion, and and I didn't know, but that explains everything. You know, like one of the things that introverts have a tough time with is small talk. And I've always felt so yeah. itchy with small talk. Yeah, yeah. I'm the same way, I th- I think. Yeah. Of course, no, this I'm is a weird thing to be doing, podcasting. But this isn't small talk. I mean, small talk well, is when you're point. sitting with a stranger, and instead of talking, you talk about nothing. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. to me, is unbearable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I guess Bruce Jenner going to be a woman. Yeah, that's what I saw. Gonna be a woman. No, we're not going to talk about nothing. We're just not going to talk. So the news is all. So the news is all small talk. Oh yeah, just small talk. I've never followed. No, Uh, I haven't followed the news in years. And and I I recommend everyone else try it. You think you need to follow the news, but you really don't. And if you don't follow the news, you're like, oh, but I should know what's going on. I might be threatened by something I'm not aware of. No, you won't be. No. It's not on the news. No, you and I think everyone gets it. their news from different sources now that you can yeah. be more selective and you yeah. can, uh, on your own terms and on yeah. your own time. Uh, the beauty of that is you can, I mean, you can kind of compartmentalize. The, the, the bad thing is, is that we tend to follow um, the safe things, the things that, that get us either uh, make us feel better or uh, some of us are uh, inspired by uh, fear and uh, yeah. you know we get off on that yeah. um, and uh, some of us you know we want to hear just the things that we want to hear um, so well uh, and you're right the internet allows us to all uh, go our to our own little rooms which is nice yeah, um, but yeah. at this point we still have a couple hundred million people following the same 
That's four true. mouth pieces you know that's so, true yeah you know it's fine that's, and it can uh, be and, and it's not always good as uh, you know it's proven by your story with randy jackson oh well yeah i, I remember uh, uh the new the news was tidal wave approaching hawaii right i was there oh were you yeah Big i was story there, right i was there in hawaii yeah well then the tidal wave didn't hit right oh tell and, me about it they so, got us up at six o'clock in the morning and, After working the night before, oh my goodness! And we sat there, that. and we went to the high hills with everyone else. And you we, are kidding me! No, no, no. And so you know the high the the headline that day was Hawaii dodges volcano or dodges bullet. You know, yeah. Here's course. two news stories about no news story. Right, right. Two days of news, and there was no tidal wave. We so. watched a we watched a little swell, and then that's and, amazing. Yeah. Oh gosh, that was brutal. That's, that's amazing that you were there. I was there. You, like they took you up to the. The top yeah, of we had, I mean, we had this, or whatever. <laughs> you know, we're on the top of the Heliacala down, you know, <laughs> we're in the crater. We were in Kona, the big island, Ooh. and we were playing for a, this private thing. And uh, oh my goodness. so we played that night and they had lots of free wine. And so, you know, we went back to the, re- the resort they had us in. Right on the know, beach? Yes. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. we had all this wine. We were, of course, right on the coast. And, oh, yeah. uh, the next morning, uh, of course, I'm thinking, oh, great, we don't have to fly out till that night, the next uh, Sunday night, because so this is what this. happened. So Saturday, Saturday night, a little bit of partying. Mm-hmm. Sunday morning, you know, everybody out, everybody out. I'm like, after three, four hours of sleep, uh, you know? Yeah. And then drive us to, you know, then, the, you know, we're going to get breakfast and wait this whole thing out and no place to go, no place to rest, trying to sleep in, yeah. the, in the van and then wait for this thing oh to happen. Oh, goodness. And then look and see it not happening. So we like, we went back to the, they let us back in and I think we got a couple hours more sleep and then we had oh, to take so a red cool. eye back to LA. And Yeah, because when you're hungover, what you want is altitude. So, yeah, hey guys, wake up. We're going to go to the top of the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> The big ending is I I'm not doing as much music now. Yeah. And what happened, well, it was a real slow shift and it was a few different facets that factored in. One of them being the uh uh, uh $26,000 retaining wall that fell just after the flood. Uh for for that reason and, and a few others, basically we got to a point where I needed to figure out a way to make money. And that meant hustling for music work. Yeah. Which is something you never have to stop doing. Yeah. They, they say in Nashville you're either being remembered or forgotten. Mm. Um and and I guess I'd always just kinda hoped I'd get phone calls and I kinda did. Mm-hmm. Um got enough to kinda feel like I was doing some enough, you know, mm-hmm. and I, and fortunately, you know, the blessing and curse of getting royalties from August and everything after is I didn't, you know, I've never worked as hard as I could. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were in a situation where I had to figure out how to make, you know, 50,000 a year. I mean, like, mm-hmm. uh, I have a wife and kids and we've always been able to make it. And mm-hmm. now we don't have a nest egg and, mm-hmm. Uh, you, know. you say the the flood. Yeah, well, because it wasn't during the flood, but just after the flood, because of the saturation that had happened on our hillside, yeah. we lost a a fifteen foot ninety foot fifteen by ninety foot retaining wall. Oh wow! And it wasn't covered under insurance, and the only way to build it back was to 
build a road and then make the wall again. So it was $26,000, which is what we'd kind of been living from and dipping into when we needed to. Uh And now we had nothing to dip into. And so royalties come every six months, but basically it's time uh, to get going. And so, so I had to figure out a way to, you know, support myself as a musician. And, um, and I wasn't motivated to do it. I, it was like, Mm -hmm. I went and did a couple auditions that I didn't get. And, and I, I went and a friend of mine plays down on Broadway. I went and checked that out. I did a few options that nothing seemed good to me. And I realized that, um, I wasn't going to be able to do it with music, Hmm. which was interesting because that's when I discovered that I had really defined myself as a drummer. Mm -hmm. And, a lot of people probably define themselves by what they do, but I wasn't what I defined myself as anymore. And I had to realize that, mm. that that's okay, but it was yeah. really hard yeah. because I considered myself a failure uh, by doing anything other than music, especially, you know, if you had some success, it's like, if somebody sees you're not doing music anymore, like, Hey, what happened to you, man? Like, <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So I felt this internal, like self-induced pressure. Yeah. Uh, that if I was not going to be a musician, that I was kind of a failed musician. Right. If you're doing anything else. Yeah. But at, but at the same time, I didn't want to play music. You know, that was the, the, I mean, I wasn't interested in the stuff I was doing, you know? Yeah. I yeah. mean, shoot, if Coldplay called, I'd love to go play with them. Yeah. You know, but what was happening was I was playing a lot of kind of, as as you know, I was doing the country uh, artist stuff, and yeah. I, I thought the lyrics were silly, and I thought the, the crowd's reactions. Yeah, were I know silly. you said you 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 had some auditions that you didn't make, but you did some gigs. You did some oh yeah, some with some artists yeah. in and town. some I loved. Right, right. Uh, uh, played some stuff with uh, some a bunch with Big Kenny. Did a bunch, yeah. of, and he was from just, Big and Rich. Yes, and mm-hmm. he's an amazing guy. We. Had so much fun with him. Went all over that. the country, yeah. and, and we recorded a bunch at his beautiful house. And you know, he'd have our my our families. He'd always have a, have us up saltwater pool and a barbecue, and, and just really neat time. So I don't want to knock all of them, yeah. But then there was stuff, you know, where I'm just I'm playing drums and listening to the lyrics and just thinking, mm-hmm. I mean, this is a celebration of ignorance, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, this is uh, encouraging people to be less than they should be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm making a living, but it's, so I was in this and you know, not everyone's like that out here, obviously, but no, no, no. If you happen to have a gig with a really great, you know, you're the drummer for this dude. That's, you know, good for you. But for everyone else, you know, we're kind of scraping by and figuring out what we could do and doing a weekend here with this guy and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. get a gig at last two months. And now you need a new one. So, it's this hustle. And I was found, I found myself in a position where I was forced to hustle for something I really didn't even want. Yeah. And that was when I had to realize that I'm not a musician. Hmm. Um, and fortunately after going through a really tough time, yeah, really tough for months, mm-hmm. I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was worried about money and, and, uh, and it was scary. Sure. And, it, and 
more than that embarrassing because I, I felt like I had this image that I had to, you know, it's all bullshit, you know. I, I know, I, made I it know, up. I know. I made yeah. it up and it, it didn't matter. But we all make it up and yeah. it, it is bullshit and you can say that it's bullshit, yeah. but then to feel and to believe yeah. in yourself that, or, you know. And, and frankly, if you don't want to play the game, you're yeah. not going to work. I mean, if you yeah. don't, if you aren't out meeting folks and smiling and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, acknowledging your connections and saying, yeah, yeah. And like getting excited. And yeah, I will go check out that show. Cause that guy will be there. You know, I mean, if you're not doing that, if you're not interested right. in that, right. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So anyway, there's very few exceptions, but that is the, the name of the game. And yeah. I think that some People are wired that way. They embrace the chase. They, yeah. they, they love it. It's yeah. part of the part of who they are. Um, well, I have I, days that I feel like I can do that, and I have days that I don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, it's very difficult. Um, well, and I uh, loved it for a long time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I really did. I, I enjoyed yeah. that. Yeah. But uh, when you don't, you don't. And and I I said it was like it's like having a mouthful of mashed potatoes. I could force some more in, but I couldn't swallow anymore, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, not that I'm above country music. It's just that I wasn't interested at that point and I didn't see any other options. Yeah. And, uh, you have a big, you, you have responsibilities. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and also, I mean, like I went out with big and rich, uh, yeah. did some shows. They were looking for a drummer. Yeah. And I'd played with big Kenny. I thought, hey, this would be easy, man. I'll go. I know half the tunes. And like they kept auditioning afterwards. I was like, well, you know, yeah, I could do it. You know, and they're like, oh yeah, you know, they're they're looking for they're looking for somebody a little more exciting, maybe. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. You end up with uh, maybe uh, you got a guy with dyed hair and nipple rings. That's more exciting than than <laughs> than me. Yeah. It is. I'm not saying it. You know, they shouldn't right, do that because right. like Big and Rich is a is a circus act. It's fun. It's supposed to be. Sure. Sure. And and if I'm there, but it was just I, different than the Big Kenny gig. It was because yeah. and I'm oh. and I'm sitting there playing. I'm thinking, you know, ride a horse, save a cowboy. I mean, that's it. We don't all have to be making art, you know. I love the, you know, somebody said, uh, uh, some days I paint masterpieces, some days I paint fences. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to sum mm-hmm. up the music biz, but. But I felt like maybe uh, what I learned was that I had, uh, I was viewing myself as a noun instead of a verb. Because hmm. really what I found out was that I am what I'm doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So long story short, um, I uh, uh, ran into a friend who uh, I talked to about you know, the fact that I, he knew I was looking for something to do. Yeah. And he works at a five star, five diamond hotel in yeah. Nashville. Yeah. He said, you should come do this. I yeah. said, well, you know, I've never worked for a hotel. I don't know. How. I went in there and I love it. Yeah. I started there and I thought I'll do it for the winter because, sure. you know, everybody's musicians don't work in the winter. So I'll do it in the winter and then, you know, auditions will come up in the fall. Well, there's just no reason not to stay there because I can make the money I need mm-hmm. and and I'm home. Yeah. Uh, and I get off work at three o'clock and I go pick up food at Trader Joe's and I make dinner for my family four nights a week. Nice. I mean, 
I don't know. And then I also have enough music stuff, like the Spasmatics. Right. These guys play three, you know, uh, I'm the sub drummer for them. Yeah. Great guys. Yeah. It's super fun. The uh-huh. money's great. Yeah. And and so all of a sudden, all this stuff is just kind of lined up. And I realized that though I'm not uh, the uh, in the prestigious situation I figured I should be in or whatever that I, you know, decided I was in, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, uh, I'm happy. I'm, I'm yeah. doing exactly, it's like, I, I didn't know yeah. that, that helping other people all day is so rewarding and yeah. energizing. Yeah. And, and all day I open the door for people. I get cabs. I, um, give directions. Yeah. Uh, I chase down an occasional purse when it's left in a, in a mm-hmm. Uber, you know, whatever. But I go home at the end of the day and I know that I have just, uh, extended myself to, 40, 60, 90 people that day and yeah. tried sincerely to make their day better. Mm-hmm. And most of the time it worked Yeah, and they yeah. left feeling better. And, <clears throat> you know, I think I told you at the airport, there's this, this feeling when you've bought somebody the perfect present, you know, and you're waiting for them to open it. Right, and you right. know that when they open your present, they're going to be like, Oh man, that's great. You know, yeah. that's the feeling you can get all the time. If you, um, if you if you realize that that helping other people is really uh oh it's uh what it's electric you know it's mm-hmm. like right right um man i no i think it's really important um when we when i reached out to you about talking and and you were like look man i, I yeah you said I'd, working drummer i'm like well uh except that that's the only thing i'm not right <laughs> We, there's so much to talk about and, um, I just, there was so much that of your experiences that I wanted to hear myself. And I think other people want to hear as well, um, leading up to what you're doing today. Um, and we could stop at that point, And I think that, but I, I also think that it's important to shed some light on, um, reality that we have responsibilities um everybody's in a different place in their life um but you and i are in the same spot where we have a family we have two Mm -hmm. kids and and uh, we live in in a town where we can have a mortgage and we can you know live in a neighborhood and have somewhat normal things and and do music if if we can Mm -hmm. um but i always i always tell my kids that you know music was number one in my life for so many years. And then you came along and it just, it, it just took a back seat. You I know, I'm sorry. It, and it's exactly as it's supposed to be, isn't it? I it, mean, it is supposed to be that way. And, and there are those who, um, kind of, uh, say, no music is going to be number one in my life and it'll continue to be that way. And they, they, they either, they, uh, decide oh, I'm not going to have kids. It's just not in the cards. I've met different people mm-hmm. in different walks of life, not just musicians, uh, uh, that, that this is, this doesn't fit in the plan and they're happy with that. Yeah, and that's, that's great. Fine. I've, I'm one of those people that I've always wanted a family. I, yeah. and I, yeah. and it feeds my soul mm-hmm. so much. So, and it is, uh, it brings me immense joy, so much more so than music. Yeah. Um, that's just, I, I'm sorry, I, I will make no apologies for yeah. that. And so if I have to do something else to pay the bills, 
um, you know, I, I think you have to just accept the fact that I, I know you say that that you uh, defined yourself as a drummer, and if you didn't play drums, then you were failing. But um, hopefully, it can bridge the gap between those who aren't parents. But I mean. I, a big part of who you are as a father and a husband. Yeah. So that to me trumps everything. Well, you know, um, but what about those who aren't fathers or who aren't husbands that um, maybe music isn't, maybe they're they're not finding the right gig mm -hmm. or they're not feeling motivated or they feel like a change. Um, And if you do something else, because it's a very scary road to go down and music is like, isn't always the best option as far as a career or this yeah. and that. But we, we hold on to this and we fight to try and get that. And you, and like you say, you hustle. Yeah. Well, and you can't stop hustling. That's the thing you have to know. Yeah. Um, you know, their life is an evolution. It's always changing. Mm-hmm. Our, as humans, we always want to freeze things and we'll be, we'll be secure once we have things in place, but they're never in place because they just keep changing. No, no. And so if you look at, the un- inevitable process of life is you age mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. you slow down mm-hmm. and in our cases you get married <clears throat> if you get married and stay married you're going to find out that you're full of shit <laughs> and so you either get di- uh, you either get divorced and find someone else who may or you realize, okay, I need to make some changes, right? Yeah. I mean, isn't that a gr- great thing about sure. marriage? Yeah. Then you have kids, and it's patience that right. I learned. Yeah. I was like, okay. I mean, besides loving your kids, there's all, it seems to be part of a process. Yeah. Right? Well, now I get to a point where I uh, don't want to hustle anymore. Mm-hmm. And yet, that never stops. And so, my if I'd stayed in Counting Crows, Mm-hmm. I would have been able to freeze my, uh, or not have to worry about finances. You know, mm-hmm. I'd be set financially. Mm-hmm. I'd know where my, my gig was, my money was. I might not know my wife. I wouldn't have my kids. And, and I certainly wouldn't, uh, have as much, you know, maybe compassion for others. I mean, I mm-hmm. wouldn't have suffered at all. I would be a boring, hollow, shallow person. Not that they are. I mean, you know, because mm-hmm. they weren't to begin with. I started out that way. Mm-hmm. So success would have just, you know, rewarded my selfish behavior. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know. I mean, it's it's. I'm grateful for everything that's happened uh, because yeah. where yeah. I am right now is perfect. And it uh, is only through everything that's happened, good and bad, that, mm-hmm. that you know, mm-hmm. here I am. Right. So I don't know. As far as drums now, and mm-hmm. and how um, much you're involved in playing, yeah, um, you had a uh, a book that you put out, yeah, and do you still get people interested in that book? As yeah, well? I still sell those. It's called Groove Control. Groove Control. Yeah, right. I have a couple other books too that I haven't put on the website, but um, uh, yeah, um, your website is Steve the Drummer. Drummer dot com. Ironically, yeah. yeah, I mean, I am a drummer, and I love no. playing. Yeah. Um, and I get calls to play still sometimes, uh, uh, sometimes more than others. Mm-hmm. And if it's good, I do it. And, and, right. um, I love recording. Yeah. Um, uh, you're still so, playing. Yeah. You're but, still, and I think that's an important thing. Uh, and I always say, look, 
I'll always play drums. If I'm not in the music business full time, mm-hmm. um, then that's okay with me. Music is so important to me. I'll always play drums. I'll always be involved in music somehow. Yeah. Um, but it, it, I don't think, this might be a bold statement, but I don't think that if that's how you make, solely how you make your living, it does not define you as a musician or not a musician. Yeah. No. Yeah. So. No, I mean, uh, you know, any more than, you know, sometimes you, you do other things and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a biker. I like riding bikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not riding one right now, but. Yeah. So when have you been on the cover of Bicycling Magazine? Yeah, you yeah. know, and well, and uh, and that really is the final blow to to you know for me musically. I mean, I love music, I love playing, but I used it to glorify myself, hmm. and and I didn't know you know that everybody wasn't doing that. You know, mm-hmm. like oh, you really like? I mean, it sounds stupid, but, but like. You know, I didn't want to rehearse. I just wanted to play the live gig, you know. I, yeah. You know, and, and there's people that, you know, probably love every aspect. Of, I don't know. Maybe not. Um, it's hard to know, and everybody's different, man. Mm-hmm. But it, and, and I think the important thing about today is is that this is your story. This is kind of yeah. the, the journey that you've taken, and by some of it, your own design, and others like the flood – it has helped define you. Yeah. And um and you found a way to make the most of the bad times and like navigate through it and, and say, No, no, this is good. I've and it sounded like it took some searching. It did. And I'm glad that we can talk today and that maybe a two years ago wouldn't have been a good time to talk. No, it wouldn't have been. To you. I mean, or 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 five years ago maybe wasn't a, the best time to talk about the things that you can relate to me yeah, right well, now, yeah. or anybody that's interested. Um, so, no, I'm excited, man. I'm excited to know that people can relax. Oh, that's and, the best thing: the freedom of not feeling like I have to put myself forward mm-hmm. to impress. Uh, you know, my cymbal company or, um, a producer in town or mm-hmm. young drummers, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am what I am and I'm fine with it. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it, it, it took a long time. So yeah. I'm grateful. Uh, sure. but sure. you know, yeah. What I've learned from my personal experience, mm-hmm. um, would have sounded crazy to me, um, earlier in my life. Yeah. Uh, but what I've learned is this, and that's that everything that happens mm-hmm. is happening for a reason. And it's not just some silly hippie stuff. Mm-hmm. It really is. Mm-hmm. And it's and everything is perfect the way it is. Yeah. And uh, I wouldn't know joy without knowing sorrow. Right, right. Because they're both really two ends of the same thing, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I'm I, uh, and I think if if I'd known that when I was twenty, uh, that everything is going to be just fine no matter what happens, mm-hmm. then I would have probably enjoyed the the trip more. 
Well, it's hard to know. Well, it's hard to believe it until you believe it. Right. Maybe you wouldn't have reached the point of sorrow that that was necessary. So, yeah, I mean, again, you can't... You know, if if only I could have been, you know, uh, had more sorrow in my teens. Now, that's the bummer. I didn't... No. (laughs) (laughs) Do you need more? I just wish I could have been sadder in my teens. No. No. Life is this wonderful process, and and here we are, and I'll tell you, man... I'm grateful to be here uh, talking to you. Man, thanks. Well, I appreciate it, man. So there you have it. There's uh, my interview with Steve. I appreciate Steve taking the time to talk to us and uh, just tell us uh, a lot about what's going on with him and his life. Also want to send out a big thank you uh, to my co-producer, Mike Jackson, for his technical and moral support in all this. Again, keep in touch with us. Let us know what you think, and uh, appreciate you listening. Thanks. Till next time.